uh, pray. Where you are, just pray. God will prepare your hearts to listen to His Word and also pray a prayer for the speaker. Let us pray together. Lord, we are privileged, Lord, this morning, come into your presence once again to listen to your word. I believe you have a word, Father, to us today, to Reverend Prossens. Pray that you prepare our hearts ready to receive, not just to receive, but to act and to obey your word, Father. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to him. Thank you for directing him, Father, today to speak to us. May your anointing fall upon him, your blessing, your strength, and your power will flow through him, Father, as you speak to us. We thank you. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. And thank you, congregation. It's a privilege to be with you. And uh, today I want to <clears throat> apologize that I have changed the message from what is written in the bulletin. I'm speaking from Revelation 12, verses 7 to 12. And my theme is, right is might. Right is might. I would like to invite you to open your Bible there, even though the text is on the overhead. Um, <clears throat> I'll be referring to some of these verses throughout the message, and I would like you to have your Bible open. And uh, I'm going to read it aloud, and you follow along uh, silently as I read, but I want to invite you to stand to your feet, to stand up in honor of uh, God's Word, so that we hear it with reverence and respect. Revelation 12, verse 7 to 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. You may be seated. I would read verse 11 again. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our struggle against evil is not to be taken lightly. We have been placed in the center of the great battle between God and Satan. But do not mistake, Satan is no match for God. God could destroy Satan with one little word. But God will not do that. Why not? Because God has determined to defeat the devil, not unilaterally, 
but through disciples of Jesus, like you and me, who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and who conform their lives to the image of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God put planet Earth under human dominion. Therefore, Satan cannot rule this planet without human consent. And Satan will never be defeated without human participation. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16.20. These are the words of Paul. Jesus has already crushed the head of the serpent on the cross, but that was only the, the initial defeat of Satan, not the final defeat. In the final defeat of Satan, God will use your feet. God will use your life, your testimony, your hands, your voice, your character. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Now, verse 10, uh, sorry, verse, uh, Revelation 12, verse 9 to 7 is a vision. John had a vision of Satan and his, his angels being expelled from heaven by Michael and his angels. And verse 10 says, the reign of Christ begins here. Now, this can be interpreted to mean that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that was the initial defeat of Satan, and Satan was thrown down from heaven with his angels. But Do not misunderstand this. This was not the final defeat of Satan. We need to understand it's like World War II. You have D-Day and V-Day. And between D-Day, that is the landing of the Allied forces in Normandy in northern France, and V-Day, that's the day of victory when the war was over. It was about one year, and there was more bloodshed in that year than all the rest of the war before that. And so that's what we are in that time between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day is the initial defeat of Satan by Jesus Christ on the cross. V-Day is the final victory that Revelation 12:11 speaks about. And we are in the in-between time. And, uh, and, and Satan has, has been cast down from heaven. Now, you need not buy into that interpretation, but it is an acceptable interpretation that this is a past event that is described in this vision that, uh, and not all scholars agree, but many of them do, and that's the interpretation I take, that at the cross, when Jesus was dying on the cross, Michael and his angels enforced the victory of Jesus by casting Satan down from heaven to earth. And where did he land? In your void deck. In your lift lobby. He is crouching at your front door. And now in great great wrath, he makes his last the children of God. That's why it says in verse 12, woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And so we are caught in the midst of this great battle. Satan is not yet defeated. He still exercises great power and great wrath. And his object is to destroy you and to destroy the church, to destroy your relationship with God. So he attacks us and accuses us day and night. Verse 11 says, we shall overcome. But that part hasn't happened yet. It's still future for us. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a future event. But we shall overcome. And verse 11 says how? 
They defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. The central question of the Bible and of Revelation in particular is not how to go to heaven when you die. Even though millions of Christians read the Bible with that question in mind, how to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise and go to heaven when you die. Ticket to heaven theology. The central question of the Bible is not how to go to heaven. The central question of the Bible is who will rule your life? Who will rule planet Who will rule in your campus, in your community? That's the question of the Bible. And Revelation answers that question ultimately. And finally, God will rule this planet not unilaterally, but through a human community of disciples of Jesus who take the word of God as their reference point, redeemed by his blood and conformed to his image and subjected to his rule and authority. That's how God will rule this planet. The whole creation is waiting for you. The whole creation is waiting for the manifestation the revelation of the children of God who are conformed to his image. How do we overcome Satan on planet Earth and in our personal lives? The defeat of Satan involves three things according to verse 11. First, we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. We take this for granted, but we should not. Forgiveness of sins is really our greatest need, and not just when we are converted, but every day we need to take refuge in the cleansing blood of Jesus, in his atoning death. The blood of the Lamb is a metaphor for the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ by which our sins are forgiven. A man who was struggling with guilt wrote to the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther replied with these words, I'm quoting, Learn to know Christ in him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine. You sat on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. Martin Luther. A wonderful prayer. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus Christ knew no sin. He was sinless. But he became sin. That's what Luther means when he said you became what you were not. He became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the starting point, and this is the foundation of our faith and our salvation. A Chinese man by the name of Ju Un Sung studied in an American seminary that was on the cutting edge of liberal theology and the social gospel. Like Martin Luther, 
He struggled under a heavy load of guilt and shame. And liberal theology didn't help him. He prayed. He sought the Lord. He had a vision. And he wrote these words in his diary. And I'm quoting. There flashed before my mind scene after scene of my sins, even the forgotten hidden sins. I saw myself weighed down almost to the breaking point by my load of sin. I dropped to my knees in humility and pleaded with the Lord to cleanse me with his precious blood. And then the Lord said, son, your sins are forgiven. From now on, your name shall be called John. John Sung. You've heard the name. You know the name. He's been to Singapore. He preached the gospel and revival started under his ministry everywhere he preached. Singapore and China will never be the same because of a man named John Sung who did not hide his sin but confessed his sins before God, before Jesus, and pleaded, pleaded a Christian in a seminary pleading with God for forgiveness of sins hidden sins, past sins, long past sins that had come back to haunt him. And he cried out to God, and God cleansed him, and God saved him. God washed him in the blood of Jesus. We never outgrow the need to confess our sins. No matter what people teach, no matter what people say, the, a life of a disciple is a life of penitence. It's lifelong, you know, repentance. It's like driving a car on the expressway. You're constantly turning the wheel. If you stop turning the wheel, the car will go off. You've got to keep turning the wheel. And that's the word repentance means turn, simply turn. Make the adjustments that you need to make. You constantly turn to keep the car between those two white lines, to keep in your destination, in your trajectory. And the Christian life is just like that. We are constantly repenting, constantly turning, constantly adjusting our lives. There are those who say the Holy Spirit doesn't convict a Christian of sin. I say Jesus does. Revelation 3, verse 19, those whom I love, I convict. It's the same Greek word that's used in John where it says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Jesus says, I convict. Even if we concede, though I don't, but even if we were to concede that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin, Jesus does. He does it directly. Those whom I love, I convict. Revelation 3, 19, Jesus never stops convicting and disciplining those whom he loves. So we need to be open, constantly open to the conviction of Jesus of our sins in order that we may turn to him, repent. Those whom I love, I convict, therefore repent. This is Jesus writing to Christians, not pre-believers, but Christians. Those whom I love, I convict, therefore repent. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may be struggling like John Sung. You may be struggling under a load of guilt today. It's not uncommon Many Christians suppress, suppress it and they hide it, especially with the kind of teaching that's going around today that you don't need to repent. And so Christians suppress it and say no condemnation, no condemnation. It, 
that is not the, the true teaching of the word of God. And so if you're struggling with sin and with guilt, even sins you've repented of, but you still feel guilty, well, today we'll give you an opportunity to pray and to receive the wonderful cleansing. We need it every day. The blood of Jesus is cleansing us every day from our sins. Second, the text says we overcome Satan by the word of our testimony. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. What does it mean? What is the word of our testimony? It is much more than witnessing and personal evangelism, as important as that is. The word of your testimony is not your eulogy. I know you're not thinking about that now. It's not your obituary. You can be sure they will say nice things about you when you die. That's not the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony is the track record of your life, what God says about your life, especially at the end when it's all over. Like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, in verse 20 to 21, in the moment of his death, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus concludes that parable with these words. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In the case of this man, that is the word of his testimony. Fool. Not rich toward God. Made a name for himself. I'm sure they gave him a good eulogy, a good obituary. But God said, fool. And Jesus said, so it is with everyone who is laying up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God in their relationship with God. Are you rich in your relationship with God? Is your relationship with Jesus a rich, abiding relationship? What is the word of your testimony? Putting it specifically, it is three things, three Sees easy to remember your confession, your conduct, and your character. It starts with confession. Your testimony, the word of your testimony is your confession of faith in the victory, in the victory of Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross. And that's what this text, it starts with that. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. But it's more than what we say. It's not just reciting creeds. The devil can recite creeds. The devil believes and trembles, said James. The word of your testimony is also your conduct. The word of your testimony. We overcome Satan when our conduct bears witness to the truth that we have confessed with our lips. And we defeat the devil when our character is conformed to the character of Jesus Christ. This is the community of disciples that will defeat the devil and rule and reign with Jesus Christ on planet Earth. This is how we overcome. Not by punching the air and singing, this is how we overcome. You remember that 
little song we used to sing. We need to examine the theology of every song we sing. This is not how we overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by our confession and our conduct and our character. That's how we overcome. This is not salvation by works. I'm not talking about salvation, and neither is the text. The text is talking about defeating the devil. And, of course, that is part of salvation. But normally we don't think of salvation. We normally think of salvation as, you know, save the sinner's prayer and get your ticket to heaven and just cruise for the rest of your life. No change, no transformation, no character, no conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. That's not how we overcome. We overcome Satan when our lives express what our lips confess about Jesus Christ. We need to be honest about that. Take Job, for example. He, overcomes, he overcame the lies of Satan and the accusations of his friends through his character, through his conduct, and through his confession. Through all his suffering, misery, and pain, he never let go of his integrity and his faith in God. In Job 13, verse 15, he said, Though he slay me, I will trust in him. In Job 19, 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And Job 16, 19, Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. He who testifies for me is on high. Incredibly ahead of his time, light years of ahead. Job had this revelation uh, that he had a witness, that he had someone in heaven who would stand up for him, who would speak for him. And now we know who that witness is, Jesus Christ, the righteous one uh, who shed his blood, who sacrificed his life for us, and who daily intercedes for us every hour of every day, and who is our advocate testifying before God on our behalf. Right? is might, and faith is a fight unto death. We defeat the devil, not by martial arts. Nothing against martial arts, but we cannot defeat the devil that way. We defeat the devil when our lives express what our lips confess about Jesus Christ. So let's not deceive ourselves. We overthrow Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And third... Verse 11 says, they love not their lives, even unto death. We overcome Satan by doing what is right and resisting what is evil, even to the point of death. What does it mean, loving not their lives unto death? It means they lay down their lives for, for the good, even as Jesus did. They did what was right. And they resisted what is evil. It's not just doing right. It's also resisting evil. You know, many Christians have this mushy attitude about God and about love. Just love God. Just love everybody. But overcoming is more than that. It's, also, it's not just doing right. It's also resisting. It's also standing against evil, starting with the evil in our own hearts. The church father, St. Augustine, has been credited with this saying, right is right, even when no one is doing it. Wrong is wrong, even when everyone is doing it. 
Right is right. Even if all your peers don't do it. Wrong is wrong. Even if all your peers are doing it. We overcome Satan by doing what is right when no one else is doing it. We overcome Satan by resisting what is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. We overcome Satan by standing in the truth, serving the truth, even suffering for the truth, maybe not to the point of death. It may cost you some friends. It may cost you your reputation. It could cost you everything. Samson fulfilled his mission at the end at the cost of his life. Daniel was thrown into a fiery furnace and a den of lions because he stayed true to his God and his faith. He did not compromise. He mastered all the wisdom and philosophy of the Babylonians, but he never compromised his faith in God. John the Baptist bore witness to the truth at the cost of his life. He stood up to King Herod, who had married his brother's wife, and said, it is not right, it is not lawful for you to have her. And Jesus was accused of blasphemy before the high court of Israel. And the high priest ordered him to speak, and Jesus spoke the truth. He never compromised, he never backed down. And Jesus was also accused of sedition before Pilate, the governor. And Jesus said these words, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. John 18, verse 37. To bear witness to the truth. Jesus bore witness to the truth at the cost of his life. Jesus defeated Satan by doing what was right and resisting what was evil even under death and there is no other way to bind the strong man many Christians go about binding this and loosing that but if our if we are not resisting what is evil and not doing what is right that is only Christian magic and superstition it really has no power over the devil it doesn't defeat the devil there's only one way to bind a strong man. And it's right here in Revelation 12, 11. The blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and loving not our lives under death. That's how we overcome the devil in this present evil age. Even in the face of temptations, accusations, insults, shame, and humiliation, we hold fast our confession of faith in Jesus Christ and bring our conduct and character into conformity with that confession. Years ago, a missionary couple was brutally murdered in Afghanistan. While they were sleeping in their bed, men broke into their house and came with machetes, hacked them to death. Before she died, the woman dipped her finger in her own blood and wrote these words on the floor. We love Afghanistan. That's the word of her testimony. She loved not her life unto death. That's what it means. Doing what is right and resisting what is evil, even in the face of fierce 
persecution. That is how we overcome. I want to ask you, are you living as a witness to the truth in Satan's regime of lies? Verse 9 says, Satan has deceived the whole world. If the whole world is deceived by lies, by permissiveness, by, per, per, by wrong teaching, are you standing as a witness to the truth? If you are, you are blessed. You shall overcome. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome Satan through our confession, our conduct, and our character. We defeat the devil by doing what is right and resisting what is evil, even to the point of martyrdom, if that be the will of God. These are the most powerful weapons in the universe, more than enough to defeat the devil. Romans 16.20, again, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What God started in Jesus Christ when he crushed the head of the serpent, God will finish through you, under your feet. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Jesus said, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. They may stone you, they may cut off your head, they may hang you, but ultimately nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I want to draw to a close with three questions. And these questions are meant to guide us through a time of self-examination and repentance. I hold myself accountable to these questions because I am a sinner just like you. The first question, are you trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel, who was murdered by his brother Cain, and his blood cried out for vengeance. God heard it. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what. The word of forgiveness is the most reassuring word of the gospel. Father, forgive them. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Romans 8, 33 to 34. You may feel guilty today. You are not alone. There are many Christians who struggle with guilt, but they hide it. They suppress it. Especially with this modern teaching going around today that you don't need to repent. So what do you do with your guilt? You deny it. Hide it, suppress it. Don't do that. Confess it before God. Guilty as charged. 
The blood of Jesus answers every accusation and lie of Satan against you. The blood of Jesus answers every accusation of Satan, even and especially those that are true. And many of them are. Yeah, I know Satan is the father of lies, and he's always lying, but sometimes his accusations are true. What do you do? Guilty. As charged. Plead guilty before God and before Jesus. And when you do, the blood of Jesus Christ answers the accusation of Satan. Pardoned. 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 Forgiven. This is the gospel. I am guilty. 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 Before God. But I am pardoned. I am released. I am justified. I am acquitted. I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Are you struggling with guilt? I invite you to bow your head, everyone, but especially those who are struggling with guilt today, but I ask everyone to do it so you can do it in privacy. Like that man who wrote to Martin Luther, like Luther himself before he received the revelation of justification by faith. Like John Sung, who struggled with guilt and shame. Perhaps sins long, for, long ago forgotten have come back to haunt you and you feel guilty. You are not alone. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself. And Lord, we renounce the lies of Satan, the lying accusations, and even those that are true. Lord, we confess we are guilty but we are pardoned, we are forgiven because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we take refuge in the atonement. We take refuge in the substitute, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the innocent one, the sinless one who took all of our sins into his own being and carried them to the cross and bore all of the, the punishment of sin. Lord, so we receive the forgiveness from the punishment of of sin, we, forget, we, we receive the freedom from the punishment of sin, and we also receive freedom from the practice of sin. That from this day forward, Lord, we will make the effort, make every effort to walk in the truth and to bear witness to the truth. So, Lord, we put our trust in your word and the blood of Jesus. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you look at the overhead once again? The second question I'd like to ask you is this. Does your life express what your lips confess? It's easy to confess. Anybody can confess. Anybody can recite creeds. But to bring our lives into conformity, faith without works is dead. It has no effect doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Grace that doesn't work is grace received in vain. The Apostle Paul said, I, I work harder than anybody else, but it's not I. It's the grace of God that works within me. Grace works. Grace works. Grace that does not produce works is received in vain. Cheap grace. Does your life express what your lips confess. It's so easy to confess, but to bring your life into conformity, 
with the life of Jesus Christ. That is a lifelong effort. And that is the most exciting adventure. that any human being can experience. The lifelong effort. It's, it's, it's more exhilarating than climbing Mount Everest. The lifelong effort to take seriously that we are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and it doesn't happen automatically. We must play a part in that. We must confront the evil that is within us. Not just take freedom from punishment, but take Freedom from the practice of sin as well through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us when we make the effort, when we respond rightly to the grace of God and allow the grace of God to help us to live our lives as authentically as Jesus Christ lived his life on planet Earth 2,000 years ago. Does your life bear witness to the truth in a world that has been deceived by untruth? Verse 9 says Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. The whole world is deceived by lies. Lies about marriage, lies about premarital sex, lies about lifestyle. It's okay. The world is deceived. They say it's okay. It doesn't matter. There is so much deception even coming into the body of Christ. Satan is even deceiving Christians today. And so I ask you, does your life bear witness to the truth like John the Baptist in a world deceived by untruth? Does your life bear witness to the truth in your home, in your workplace, in your campus? in your student lounge, in the food court? Is your conduct consistent with your confession? Is your character consistent with your confession? Years ago, a man named Charles told me this story firsthand. He's not from Singapore, but not far away. And he witnessed corruption in his company, the highest levels. And one night, the boss showed up in his home for dinner. Sitting at the dinner table, the boss placed a bag on the table. And Charles and his wife looked inside the bag, and it was full of money. And they could see at a glance that it was enough money to pay off their entire mortgage. They needed that money. They were struggling financially. It would have been so easy to take it. But Charles pushed the bag away. We cannot accept this because we are Christians. pushed the bag away and said, we can't accept this. We are Christian. The boss said, that's funny. You are the first Christians to refuse it. 
I don't think it's funny. It is a shame. This is the kind of reputation that Christians have in the workplace, in the marketplace. Compromise. Does your life express what your lips confess? Would you bow your head and pray? Search your heart. Let Jesus convict you. Not me. I can't convict you of sin. As Jesus said, Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove, I convict, I discipline. Therefore, repent. This is Jesus speaking to Christians, not pre-believers, not unbelievers, but Christians. Those whom I love, I convict. Would you open your heart to the conviction of Jesus? Let it go deep. He doesn't condemn He said, I did not come into the world to to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. Jesus doesn't condemn, but he does convict. So allow him to do so now. Examine your heart, your life. What is the track record of your life? What is the word of your testimony? Your conduct, your character, does it line up with your confession? Lord Jesus Christ, We acknowledge that all of us fall short. Our lives, many of us, our lives do not even remotely resemble the life that you lived. But that is our calling, that is our destiny, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, not just in heaven when we die, but in this present evil age on planet Earth, in a world deceived by Satan. Lord God, we pray that you would raise up a generation of young disciples of Jesus who will make every effort through prayer, through spiritual discipline, through the right exercise of the weapons of warfare, to turn those weapons on themselves and confront the evil that is within them and to overcome it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and to stand up as witnesses for the truth in a world deceived by the devil. Lord, thank you, Father, for my fellow disciples of Jesus Christ in this room who are making that commitment now in this sacred moment to become a practicing disciple of Jesus, to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and to follow Jesus, even if it should cost us everything. That leads into the third question, which you look at the overhead one last time. Are you doing right and resisting wrong unto death? One of my students and I used to do missionary work in a community where the penalty for conversion is death. Not far from here. And I was in one village and he was in another. He was caught by six young men and they started killing him. They tore up the railing of the porch, stabbed him, started beating him on the head with sticks. My friend, my student, 
Before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a gangster. He knows martial arts. And he could have wiped out those six men. But he just stood there and took the beating. They were killing him. It's only because a policeman happened to pass by that he was rescued. And then the police demanded a bribe. He didn't pay the bribe. He loved not his life. He was willing to die. He didn't use martial arts to defeat his opponent. He turned the other cheek because that's what disciples of Jesus do. Disciples of Jesus turn the other cheek. Disciples of Jesus do not accept hush money. Disciples of Jesus do not pay bribes. They would rather die than compromise their precious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us all to become disciples of Jesus who do what is right and resist what is wrong even to the shedding of blood. I said earlier, Satan cannot rule this world without human consent. God gave dominion to planet, of planet Earth to you and me, human beings, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. God gave us dominion. And Satan, Satan rules this planet only by human consent. By compromise, Satan deceives us, he tries to, accuses us, he torments us through lies and temptations, everything just to get us to kowtow, to bow to his rule and to consent. Satan cannot rule your passions without your consent. Satan cannot rule your emotions without your consent. We overcome the devil, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by resisting him, by resisting the devil and submitting to God. And James said, resist the devil, submit to God, and the devil will flee. The devil will flee. Are you doing right in resisting wrong unto death? Many young Christians, they don't even know what's right and wrong because and don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking, I'm not putting down young people. But I just know it for a fact. There are very few young people who have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Very few. Their reference point is social media and the internet. That's their reference point. Their reference point is not the word of God. Now, that's true of many adults too. I'm not stereotyping youth. Don't misunderstand me but it, it is an acute problem among youth today, not just in Singapore, but generally. When I was a young disciple of Jesus, like you, I made a commitment to read the Bible once a year. That was 40 years ago. 
Now I'm getting older, so now it takes me about two years. The Word of God has become my reference point. And so people argue this and argue that. Cheap grace, hyper grace, all that. And, and it's like a computer search in my mind. And all the scriptures just, you're just there. And I know the answers. Why? Because I read the word of God. There are so many heresies creeping into the church today that would evaporate if people simply read the word of God for themselves. And develop the convictions my wife was talking to young people recently. And they stay, my, my wife, her name is Liking. Some of you may know her, loves, loves Singapore. And they said, they said, Liking, where do you get your convictions? And of course, the answer, the word of God. And these dear, precious young people confess. But sister, they said, and, 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 and blessed are they because they were honest. They said, for us, and these young people were kind of speaking for their peers as well. The Word of God is not our reference point. So I don't want to hunt on young people because this was a sincere confession. It's just simply not our reference point. And I say, why not? Now, I don't know this church. I, I hope you are the exception. And I, I have hope. I really do have hope because, you know, this is not my first time here. I was here, I addressed the youth in this church 24 years ago. And they are no longer young. But, but in that meeting, I sensed something unique about this church. It was different. And so that's why I say, I hope that you are the exception and that the word of God is your reference point. And you take your cue of what is right and what is wrong not from internet, not from social media, not from popular teaching, but from the Word of God. So this is the third question I'm asking you. Are you doing right and resisting wrong? And I mean by what, what I mean by right and wrong is what the Word of God says. That is your reference point. You get your convictions from there. Are you doing right and resisting evil? even if it will cost you some friends, some precious friendships. You know, I think about the way we fill out application forms, you know, and you have to tick yes or no. You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. If you have not ticked yes, if you have not filled the form out honestly, then don't sign your name to it. Because your name is as good as the truth you expressed on that form. Go back and make sure everything is true before you sign your name on it. Don't compromise. Even in little things like that, we don't learn to resist what is wrong. In little things, we will never be able to stand up to the devil in the greater thing. Well, I'm rambling. I apologize for that. If, worship team, would you come back to your instruments and would you begin pray and I don't know if you have a tradition of altar calls here but I do want to give the opportunity if you want to come and build an altar I won't lay hands on you I won't pray for you but if you want to come would you stand to your feet and 
everyone standing, please. And you saw these three questions that I ask you. Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? If you want to come now, and recommit yourself in faith. You may be struggling with guilt, you may not. Do you want to come and bow your knee at the foot of the cross? And if you feel the need for forgiveness, come and get it. If you feel the need simply to come and say, thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid for my sins. Thank you for the sense of pardon that I feel in my heart. Then come and build an altar here in honor of the one who died for you. And placed complete trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Take your time, no rush. But don't wait to see who else is coming. If you don't feel the need to come, blessed are you, that's fine. Just bow your head and pray for others. But if you feel the need, or you just want to come out of worship, then come. If you're one of those who would honestly say, Lord Jesus, my life does not express what my lips confess. I need help. I need grace. I need more grace that will enable me to make the right kinds of efforts. Would you come to the throne of God's grace because he gives more grace he gives without grudging and he gives generously.
pray for everyone, but I want to pray especially for those who feel defeated. Who feel defeated. If you only knew how much Jesus loves you, if you only knew his heart for you, he does not condemn you. Saren Kierkegaard said, this is the victory. When the truth triumphs through me, even if I myself am sacrifice. This is the victory that overcomes the world. When the truth triumphs through us, in us, even if we are defeated. to pray for those who are defeated. I want to pray for everyone, but especially for those who are defeated. Lord Jesus Christ, like Peter when he was sinking, you stretched out your hand and you pulled him out and you walked him on the water to safety. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who are sinking. Whatever that form of defeat, whatever it may be, accusations, lies, rejection, shame, humiliation, a sense of guilt and condemnation. Lord, I admit that we deserve it, but you came to rescue. You came not to condemn, but to save. Oh, Lord, your hand is not shot. There is no one who has sunk so deep that you cannot pull them out and pull them out, Lord. Lord, this is a victory, oh God, in this present age. Your life may look like a failure. Even Jesus died on the cross, an apparent failure in the eyes of the world. By the standards of the world, Jesus died a failure. But the word of God was triumphing. The victory of God was conquering in him and through him. This is the victory. When the truth triumphs in our hearts, even if outwardly we feel defeated or look defeated, even if inwardly we feel devastated, hold on to the truth. Let the Word of God take deep root in your heart. It will not fail. It will not fail. The Word of God cannot fail. Just let that seed grow. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father my brothers and sisters and fellow disciples of Jesus. Lord, we ask you to forgive us from every compromise with evil. We admit that we are guilty. We receive the cleansing blood of Jesus and we pray that you would help us from this day forward to make the kinds of efforts in prayer, in spiritual warfare, in spiritual discipline, in spiritual exercises, the kind of efforts and discipline that will help us to bring our conduct into consistency with our confession and to bring our character into conformity with the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord bless you. It's not my role. This is not benediction, but this is just my blessing to you. I have no authority to give benediction, but this is my blessing for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord encourage you. May the Lord lift lift you up and lift up your face and let his face shine upon you. And may he bring that 
smile in your heart of a young innocent child looking up in the face of a loving father may the Lord bring you into that precious precious loving relationship with him and from this day forward I pray that you would never willingly compromise that precious relationship with your Lord and Savior and mine our Lord Jesus Christ in his name we pray Amen.